Hey guys, what's up? It is week uh, 257, and uh, the Wasteland update's not going to be in here. I'm recording this Thursday before I go to Wasteland to get everything done and ready for every all the patrons and everything like that. So yeah, next week we'll have the uh, Wasteland update in there. I might just shoot it at Wasteland just to have fun with it. So yeah, let's hop into the reviews, and the first one up is a doozy. Uh, yeah, this is the new set from Arrow Films. This is Rogue Cops and Racketeers, two, film, two crime thrillers by Enzo G. Castellari, who's done some other crime thrillers. He's done some post-apocalyptic movies so this set includes the big racket and the heroin busters and uh yeah so i've, I've seen a couple movies by enzo uh enzo enzo g costellari sorry about that like high crime and uh street law and he did like i said some of the post-apocalyptic movies uh the the um you know the italian mad max ripoff style things like that um so yeah let's start with if i get it out of here the big racket so I feel like I might have seen this one, but I wasn't sure. And after popping it in, I most definitely did not. This was originally released by Blue Underground back in the day. It stars Fabio Tezzi, who's in a bunch of stuff, including What Have You Done to Solange, um, Revolver, another kind of Euro crime movie with Oliver Reed, which is exceptional. And uh, he's also in the next movie. So Fabio Tezzi is, is a good leading man. He's like a handsome kind of big uh, type, athletic type. He's also in For the Apocalypse, the Fulci movie. So I put this in, and I was immediately in love with it. The cast is amazing. There's a, a great uh, amount of goons in here that are perfect. And in this kind of movie, you, you really have to have a like, good lead, but you also have to have great side characters. And I will say that The Big Racket has some of the best side characters I've seen in any of the Italian uh, films in general, period. So, okay, the story is basically following uh, a, a Fabio Testi, who is a cop, and he's trying to crack down on these racketeers that are going around and forcing small businesses to pay a cut of their, you know, their income so they get protection. And if they don't, they destroy their, you know, their their place of business. But they're also they're completely ruthless. They're much worse than just just saying that. Like they threaten rape. They they just completely destroy everything that these people's livelihood have. So in the very opening of the film, you see like the group kind of burning down or, or trashing, not burning down, but trashing this liquor store. If I'm not mistaken, there's a bunch of them. Um, so, like, we start to go in, and we have Fabio Testi and uh, another uh, kind of stuntman character actor as his partner, uh, Salvador Boot. I can't say this guy's name, but you'll recognize him. He's in, um, uh, I think he's in For a Few Dollars More and tons of films. He's in, like, all the spaghetti westerns and everything like that. You'll recognize him right away. Um, so, basically, him and his partner are trying to take down this and get enough information about it. But as they start to move in on the territory, they realize that their hands are kind of tied from red tape and bureaucracy and all sorts of other bullshit. And it's a typical kind of like uh, vigilante cop story at first where, you know, it has like this kind of like uh, a lot of people would say like this fascist wet dream, you know what I mean, where the cops are going to like go crazy, like vigilante love letter thing, whatever. You know how it is. But um all these movies I, I love immensely. I love the revenge things. I love the vigilante movies, especially from the 70s. And after watching, like, the box set, The Years of Lead, that Arrow put out, like, they put a lot of context into these movies. How, you know, at the time of Italy, in the, that period of time, there was a lot of violence and a lot of, like, extremist groups on the left and the right just causing all this chaos. And a lot of the people were caught in the middle. And, and so, like, it, it these movies kind of were an answer to that. But at the same time, 
they were entertaining. And when you get into the special features, Fabio Testi and Enzo G. Castellari and, and Massimo Vanni, who's in this, I'll talk about that. They all talk about how they still have the same problems they had when they made the big racket in Italy about the racketeering and all these kind of social issues. All this kind of shit is still happening in Italy. So, like, these movies, although vastly entertaining and somewhat maybe, you know, cathartic to some people, of course, they do have a social kind of message in there. So, anyways... What happens is uh, uh, Fabio Testi throughout, uh, he's basically knocked down and hit and everything like that. And, and at times, the movie, you have like hope for it because they'll enter heroes that help him. But every chance this movie gets, it does the most mean-spirited stuff uh, I-, I can imagine. Like somebody uh, goes to testify against them and there's repercussions that are on, like the most horrible repercussions that can happen to somebody. Um, this movie has two of the most uh, unpleasant rape scenes. Well, all um, rape scenes are pretty unpleasant. But a- as far as if we're ranking them, this these two, they rank pretty high up there. Especially the first one, the way it's shot, the way it's done. And like I said, the goons in this film are set up very well. Like, they remind me of, you know, something like Clarence Bodiger's gang in RoboCop or, or something like that where they're just ruthless monsters. Like, they, they uh, one's played by uh, Massimo Vanni, the other is played by another big stuntman. One is the one of the brothers, the you know, the big stuntman family in Italy, the Ten Brothers, uh, uh, Diacqua, whatever. But, you know, they basically play all the zombies at the end of Zombie, you get blown up. So And then there's a female. Like, those are the kind of four main goons, but then there's, a you know, a leader, and there's a bunch of other criminal elements and bosses and a bunch of people you recognize in the background as well so basically the first big chunk of this movie is uh like a um, you know a vigilante cop trying to stop them and getting knocked down at every turn and all the people around him getting you know hurt by this gang and by the end of the film it turns into a ragtag revenge film which is also one of my favorite you know plot devices in a film or or you know kind of suicide mission movies which i love they do that with a lot of war films like the dirty dozen and the and kelly's here is like this ragtag group of people on their mission and they're all characters throughout the film that they've established i really didn't expect this to happen so it's literally like pulling all my favorite kind of little uh story devices in a movie and i'm like okay so we have this brutal you know uh polizio tetsi kind of vigilante story which i I'm, I'm digging a lot. We have the beautiful music too, of course, and then we go into this ragtag revenge thing where we bring back all these characters that I absolutely loved for this amazing shootout at the very end of the movie. Uh, I love this thing. This is a movie I watch a lot of movies, and um, a lot of times, you know, sometimes they're very forgettable, right? Not not in a bad way, just because you're getting older, you can't remember. It. There's no way I'm forgetting uh, the big racket. I, I rarely rate a movie, a first time watch movie, five stars on Letterbox. Boom instant five star for me i just couldn't believe it um just every chance it gets in it it's it's a uh, like brutality and nihilism is there and like i know that's not always a good thing right sometimes those the tone won't fit with that or sometimes it just comes off bad it, this one is really well done um they, they use slow motion at times and, and in a very effective way all the characters are really well established i liked all of them they have good one-liners almost everybody in this movie is a recognizable character actor from italy you'll you'll notice them uh romano pupo is in here of course from every italian movie ever made and ghoulies too uh so like yes it's just an excellent awesome amazing um euro cry movie let me read the special features on here because there's a slew of them um yeah so basically what we have here is a brand new 2k restoration from original 35 camera negatives i thought it looked really solid um there is some like damage on the print on some of these movies like you'll see at the top and everything like that 
Um, okay, let me get to the actual feature. New audio commentary by critics Adrian J. Smith and David Flint. The Years of Racketeering, a new video interview with co-writer, director, Ennio G. Castellari. And this is really interesting. I love how he opens it. He's kind of a little coy and very funny. And at the very end, too, he reads this uh, critic's review, and he says they called me a fascist. And he reads all the things about the film, and he says that, that this guy's saying her negative, and he says he's 100% right. Uh... And that's why it's great. And it's just very funny. Uh, the Violent Times, a new video essay with Fabio Tessi, who is very open about talking about the social and stuff about the film as well. And then we have Angel Face for a Tough Guy, a new interview with Massimo, Massimo Vanni, in which I learned that he is second cousins with Enio, uh, with Castellari, which was, I never knew that, of course. And this guy is a person who has been a stuntman and an actor in dozens and dozens of movies. Just off the top of my head, you'd recognize him from Bruno Mattei's Robot War <laughs> and a bunch of movies. Seriously, this guy's in like a lot of uh, Castellari movies too. Then we have uh, The King of Moviola, a new video interview with editor Gene Franco Amagadushi. Sorry about the pronunciation there. The Great Racket, a new appreciation career retrospective of composers Guido and Maurizio Di uh, Angelis by music and disc collector Lovely John. This guy is an expert on freaking musical like career. This is like 45 minutes. He breaks down these these composers like life and talks about their careers and he even like uses, he, he I like this very much because like anytime you learn like if you're, if you're trying to I don't always do it okay I'm not saying I'm great or anything but you're like trying to prove your points of why something's great he cites examples and then they'll like show the cues pop in like this is why I think this is really effective boom you hear a cue within the history he's pointing out little facts because he, he's backing up his points with actual you know evidence there for his opinion and it's just really refreshing to do that. It's so much better than somebody saying, I like this because it's good. I'm like, thank you. There you go. Like, But it's just a really nice a little documentary on here. Anyways, it's an excellent movie. I was blown away by it. I was getting more and more excited about it. And this is another thing that I miss about old old action or crime movies. Is I don't know what's going to happen. Nobody's life is safe in this. No, nothing is sacred. It, it crosses the line. It goes places that are dark. And I, I just, it's not predictable. And it, it does, it, although... It's emotional, and it loves its characters, or it spends a lot of time with the characters. They're they're gonna they die, and I'm so sick of action movies not having any guts anymore, being so predictable. And that's to me, action movies are my least favorite genre right now, especially from America. Um, and I love old ones and crime films and stuff like this. This is more of a crime, but there's a lot of action in it, chases and all that good stuff that we all love. But I just feel like this is a genre that suffered immensely in the past 10 years uh, in comparison to a lot of other genres that sometimes they do really well. Besides, of course, the Western is pretty much fucking dead. But I'm just saying, um, yeah, like, I, I just... Oh, I can't even believe I didn't mention Vincent Gardenia in here. I didn't mention Vincent fucking Gardenia, who is excellent in this movie. He's comic relief, and he's got a really great story arc in here, and he's friends with Fabio Testi. Vincent Gardenia is in the Death Wish 1 and 2 films. He's in Little Shop of Horrors. He's in Moonstruck. He's in Cold Turkey. Great actor. Fucking great in this. Very funny. And uh, Castellari actually mentions he speaks Italian in this movie, which I never would have guessed because I usually watch these in English because the actors I know from America or were more English-oriented... Uh, usually speak in their native languages. So it was really kind of uh, exciting to uh, like see him in this movie. And like here's all the characters. Kind of give you the ragtag team up here uh, on the top. So like uh, we have the, the Olympic shooter. He's excellent. We have Vincent Gardenia. We have the old mob boss with the iron neck with the iron brace on his neck. We have the, the revengeful father who plays an amazing performance in here and has a great end. And Roman Pupo, the ex-criminal who decides to help him out too for, you know, a passport. So like all this and a Fabio Tessi, like that's a, it's a immaculate, 
lineup of a crew, and they're fighting a bad guy crew. So it's, it's like so much. It's like I, you, as you can tell, I like movies with crews and gangs and fight. Check this one out. You won't be sorry. One of my favorites that I've seen this year. The Big Racket. Okay, the next one up in the set is The Heroin Busters, again, directed by Castellari, starring Fabio Tessi and David Hemmings from stuff like um, Deep Red, Blow Up, so a classic actor there. So, yeah, this one is more about, you know, drug smuggling and all that kind of stuff. So it opens up, and Fabio Tessi's, like, on this boat. You think he's this criminal, and we they kind of jump around to Hong Kong, all these different places, all these different countries, and we see how elaborate this drug, you know, smuggling is. It's really crazy. It's really... Uh, uh, you know, shows it's a big international thing. And then as we kind of progress, you know, we, we have uh, Fabio Testi get busted at this airport. And, like, you see a couple people slip through. They have this really complicated process, including Romano Pupo, of course. Um, and, and they get away with the drugs. And then we have Fabio Testi escape from prison with a, with another junkie. And, like, halfway through the movie, there's kind of a switch. I don't even know if I should really give it away. Does the back? I mean, the back tells you right away. So, spoiler here. Fabio Tessi ends up being an undercover cop, but you don't really know that for about 30 minutes. And he's paired up with David Hemmings, who, who is the only one who knows he's an undercover cop. So, like, we have this relationship, and and uh, and then Fabio Tessi like kind of going into this gang and getting involved. And it has a lot of the same people from, um, of course, the Big Racket and playing gang members and everything like that. But their uh, the the big finale is excellent because you know, of course, he, he they figure out what's going on here, and there is some immaculate like shootouts on motorcycles a couple of the bad guys get on these motorcycles and they ride through underneath the train station which i was like this is insane and there's a, a plane chase which you'd rarely see in these movies a fucking plane chase um and again they're kind of tackling the issues of a lot of like drug use and everything the bad guys are ruthless they're horrible but they're not as memorable i would say as the big racket nobody quite is the shootouts are good um and, and like the the set pieces are, are just as memorable i would say like the plane and the, the motorcycle stuff that stuff really stands out it's also really excellent and i feel bad because i don't have as much to say about heroin busters because when i was done i was so amazed by how great the big racket was that I just put it in the heroin busters and I really liked it too but it's just not going to hold a candle to the big racket for me but uh, like I said this one is cool and, and um, I do like David Hemmings I always have there's some good bits in here the police station scene is really excellent when uh, they, they decide to smuggle the heroin out of the police station I won't give too many details on that but uh, the music's a little bit different on this one it's actually done by who did Goblet did the music which is fucking awesome too because usually goblins associated with the horror genre and stuff like that so yeah as far as the special features are concerned on here we have new audio commentary by critics adrian j smith and david flint endless pursuit a new video interview with co-writer director Ennio g castellari drug squad and we have fabio testi again and then we have another interview with mastamo vani and these are long these are like 30 40 minute interviews too with a lot of them at least 20 to 40 minutes so how they killed italian cinema a new video interview with editor gene franco uh, again a cop on the set a new video interview with retired polizia testing criminologist Nikolai Longo eardrum busters new appreciation career respect retrospective of composers goblin my musician and disc collector lovely john and that's long that's like 40 minutes they go over everything how they got in with dario gento after Andrea morricone left so it's, it's really complicated stuff the only negative thing about those is you get so much information and so much knowledge you're like how am i ever going to retain all this like it's going to be very hard like that's why these guys are the pros and that's why i'm just talking about them talk about it so anyways the heroin busters is also really good um as far as the set is concerned we have some uh booklet in here and a po uh is there a poster um no i think we just have the booklet and some uh the postcards and everything like that i will show this up close and everything like that but uh again just great stuff here um really recommend this set um 
And like, if, if you're more interested in these kind of movies, check out the Years of Lead that they also put out. I love that set. I love when they do this with like the, the spaghetti westerns they put out, the brutal spaghetti westerns uh, the, with Massacre Time. I love that. So Arrow is definitely one of my favorite companies. They always do an excellent job. They get a lot of good stuff coming down the line. And this one is one of my favorites of the year so far. Um, great stuff. Check it out. Okay, this next one here is from Film Detective, and this is Flight to Mars, and this is obviously a sci-fi flick made in 1951, pretty early for these space travel kind of movies here, and uh, the big name for me in here, there, there are names that uh, people that like focus on a lot of older actors would get, I know some, but Cameron Mitchell is the big name in here, obviously, he went on to do a lot of like cheesy horror movies and B-movies, and also some really good B-movies and stuff like that, and B-horror movies, not even B-horror movies, but A-list horror movies, Mario Baba. So, Flight to Mars. Now, I, I do dig my sci-fi movies, so I put this in, and what we have here is, like, kind of, again, not, not necessarily a ragtag group of people, but we do have kind of a, 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 a eclectic group of people that are going to go uh, to Mars and then try to get as much information as they can and send it back. It's almost kind of like the suicide mission. Of course, this is before we, I imagine we knew much about, you know, Mars and space travel, like... Um, so essentially what we have here is an uh, older doctor. Then we have Cameron Mitchell as like kind of the newsman. Um, then we have the, the kind of main astronaut who seems to know most about the stuff, a uh, scientist, and a woman that's really interested in him. She's also a scientist. And I'm, I'm forgetting the fifth. I know there's a fifth person in this in this thing, and I can't believe I'm completely forgetting everybody in here. Um there's a couple older scientists actually so anyways they manage to realize that something's gone wrong when they're up in space and they they, they kind of look at each other and they say we could try to make it back and maybe have trouble crash landing on earth and not surviving we could make it to mars and land possibly but we do not know if we will ever be able to get back to earth so they take a vote on it and they end up going to Mars. And what they do find is Martians, of course. And um, uh, they land on the planet. There's like all this. Uh, it's not Mars as we know. It's 1951. Um, we never really, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So they get there and these uh, these kind of strange people come out. And they explain that they've been living under the ground and everything like that because the environment's too hostile. And they, they start to like see all these ingenious things that they've made, like these ways that they don't get sick. And, and of course, at first everything seems hunky-dory. They're going to help them with the ship. But of course, there's going to be some ulterior motives and some politics among the Martians. And I don't they don't really call them Martians in this, but that's what I'm calling them still, just, be, just because, you know. Uh, so yeah, uh, as um, far as the film is concerned, I enjoyed it. It is very much a product of its time. And you have to take that in consideration when you watch these movies. And it's early too it's it's pretty early for this kind of stuff if i'm not mistaken i think the thing from another world came out around the same year and it wanted the day the earth stood still it was early 50s as well so i can't remember everything here but uh also being in color is a little different too um it, yeah the sets are pretty good i liked how the ship looked no complaints it didn't look you know as cheap as a lot of the other sci-fi movies would look um and i do like kind of the political stuff in here you know like uh but it, it does go by kind of quick it is a very talky film but I don't think it's as boring as one would expect, but there's a lot more talking than somebody might expect to. It's not like your big bombastic adventure movie or something like Forbidden Planet where it has a lot of crazy stuff going on, although that one can be talkative as well. But uh, I always say it, right? Is it? It's Forbidden Planet, not yeah, yeah, or Forbidden World, whichever, whichever one. One's the Corbin movie, one's the Leslie Nielsen space movie. That's pretty intense. But really what sold me on this was the special features. Again, 
Like, it adds context to the movies, and you learn a lot while watching them. Although, the only negative is, there's so much information that my little tiny brain cannot absorb all of it. But, uh, as far as we're going here, we have a 4K restoration, and Film Detective always does really great work on uh, low-budget films, too. So, like, when you watch them, you're like, I can't believe they're making a lot of these look this good. Um, the film noir they did was excellent looking. I can't remember which one, and that probably doesn't uh, boil it down to that much, just to probably did multiple film noirs. Then we have two exclusive documentaries, Walter Mersch from Bomba to Body Snatchers an Interstellar uh, and, okay, that one right here. Walter Mersch um, is the one I think I'm talking about here. And this is done by uh, C. Courtney Joyner. And I was just talking about him last week because I covered a couple of his movies for 94. And I have to say, this guy did such an excellent job on going down the history of this producer and everything like that. There was so much knowledge from, and I just, I, I won't even do it justice if I try to talk about it, but I was sitting there, he goes into like the, the East, uh, the, what is the East Street Kids, which are the, and he talks about like all the uh, Bela Lugosi movies that he was involved with, the early ones like Eight Man, Return to Eight Man, those movies, and he talks about how he worked himself up to like these, producing these giant big movies, and what did they go from United Artists to Allied, Allied Artist um, to United artist and it's just a long complicated story about this dude's entire career it's very interesting it talks a lot about old Hollywood all this stuff it's just super interesting super well done super uh, edited well too like super well edited it's edited well it keeps your attention I really am digging a lot of these featurettes that they put on the film detective label I think they do a very good job with it and then we also have an interstellar uh, travelogue cinemas for space race and that uh, definitely talks a little bit about you know the Russian compared to the American stuff if I'm remembering correctly then we also have an audio commentary with justin humphreys and a full color booklet with essays and mars at the movies by don stradley so this is a, a relatively short movie at 72 minutes um yeah it's worth checking out but even if you don't absolutely love the movie and you're interested in this kind of stuff definitely pick it up for the special features i enjoyed the movie i enjoyed the special features a little bit more so yeah that's flight to mars great stuff recommended and uh film detective is doing a lot better work than they're getting credit for like i know a lot of people mention like a lot of big companies as they should because they're doing a great job but film detective and mondo macabre and some of these other companies are left out of the talk as far as quality releases are concerned and they they should be in there too okay this next one here i dare i call it the pervert pick i think i have to call it the pervert pick just on description alone uh, but this is a lonely cow weeps at dawn from pink inga yes um and everybody kind of heard of this one before just i think because the basic of it uh the basic plot of it and i mentioned i'd probably cover this one down the line and here we are so let me just read the back i, I like to read the back to these to, to people just because sometimes they're too hard to explain uh lonely cop a uh, lonely cow weeps at dawn follows a young widow uh norikio living with her senile father-in-law shinkuchi on a farm he believes his favorite cow, recently deceased, is still alive. Noriko pretends to be the cow and lets him milk her, a satisfying arrangement for them both. Shinkichi's daughter discovers their bizarre relationship and tries to put an end to it. This film is regarded as director Goto's uh, best. And they mention Scorp Scorpion's Revenge and Zero Woman here. Now, this Scorpion's Revenge is not the original female Scorpion's Revenge. There's some ones that were done, I think, later in the 90s and all that kind of stuff. And Zero Woman, um, I think, kind of more of an action kind of erotic flick if i'm not mistaken so okay a lonely cow weeps at dawn um this director also did blind love which i covered last week this is a bonkers movie um the music in here is is, is uh really 
good. I think it, it's probably classical music reused for this, and I, I enjoyed that. Um, but yeah, it, I, I'd be lied. This is a very strange film. It's touching and funny and off-putting at the same time. So like uh, a lot of it is like the old senile father and his daughter-in-law having this relationship, which I don't think is sexual at first, at least for the senile father. And maybe there's some underlining stuff. Obviously, there's underlining stuff because he's milking a woman. And uh, of course, they show this as well. But when other people start to get involved, there's a character that wants to buy the farmland out. He's a really shady, really shitty character. And then we have uh, the the senile old man's daughter coming into the picture, and she's not exactly a great person ever either. So we have like these sex scenes between a lot of uh, arrangement of characters, and of course, uh, sex scenes that you probably make even more uncomfortable as they go on. But uh, there, like I said, there's some weird kind of comedy beats as well, and a lot of emotional stuff. And we see the history of what happened to the favorite cow, and what happened to the husband and the son of the senile old man, and all that kind of stuff in a flashback. Um, there is kind of a, a veterinarian character, and he has a he has a wife as well, like a nurse or a girlfriend that he's dating. And the veterinarian is much older, and he comes to kind of like uh, he's always constantly called to look after the cow, which doesn't exist, of course. And everybody thinks this old man is getting crazier and crazier by the day but there's a part in here which actually made me kind of laugh out loud because one of the characters it turns out to be like a vicious rapist and he's trying to attack everybody and somebody hits him and he's like why did you do that like he just like and that's such a thing that happens in a lot of these movies there's somebody's just like an awful person and then like somebody finally stands up or hits them and they're just like shocked that they were hit like they're just appalled don't understand like they're not even like just don't realize what they're they do realize what they're doing they're just such egomaniacs but yeah i thought this was interesting enough and and pretty good um and it has an emotional touch to it for sure there's a, a, a some good drama in here so as far as the featurettes we have an interview with the director interview with the producer um who is uh mr pink who done a bunch produced tons of movies interview with cinematographer and a feature at what is pink inga documentary short yeah, and we have some notes and everything like that, original artwork. So, yeah, this one is definitely one that if it sounds like it's up your alley, check it out. Like I said, I don't even know how to get into it too much, but there is some strange sex scenes in here, some really weird characters, and a really weird bonkers situation. It only runs about an hour and one minute, so it's it's an easy watch um, for in some ways, probably not in other ways for people. But, yeah, that is A Lonely, what is it, A Lonely Cow Weeps at Dawn. That's a mouthful of a title, too. Yeah. Continuing my journey into the strange Japanese, these films this is one that's uh it's a double feature but i'm only going to talk about the android of notre dame this is the guinea pig and uh android of notre dame i've already covered covered the cobbled covered the devil's experiment when i did 1985 so yeah and the devil's experiment's a pretty brutal movie i'm going to be honest it's a fake snuff kind of deal the guinea pig was the first one but uh android of notre dame or notre dame whichever you want to call it um is is a bizarre movie so we follow this short person who's a scientist and he's trying to from all these medical and weird kind of uh, technological surgeries and stuff to save his sister. He's actually performing on a real body, a real specimen who possibly was alive before. I don't know, before he started doing the experiments. So we have a lot of scenes where, like, in the opening, he has, like, this weird monologue where he looks all warped and bald and just messed up. And we kind of go into his experiments so we see like him taking out an eyeball which is very typical guinea pig stuff right eye trauma for sure it's got to be in almost all of them so as he as it goes on um uh, kind of an investor somebody who's behind the program shows up uh and they basically i believe that's what they are they tell him we want your you know your findings and everything um and he says he doesn't want any of his stuff to be used for a weapon this character is going to blackmail him and i love where the movie turned here so there'll be spoilers okay 
But the movie turned, like, usually the character would be like, oh, what am I going to do? It would be blackmailed. And this character, this scientist, he decides he's just going to use this guy for an experiment, too. Screw the virus. Screw them trying to blackmail me. And this guy falls into a trap, loses his legs. And when he comes to, he's been actually turned into this android that he's performing these surgeries on. And it's really gross and really weird. And he's just this head. And he's puking like blue weird green shit um and it just is a bonkers weird movie um like i said after the point where he turned him into this thing it's actually a little bit more entertaining for me and i did enjoy it and i love the fact that he's just like well screw you i'm not gonna do anything i'm just gonna kill you too why not i mean because he's obviously crossed that line um it ends on obviously a like depressing note and very much like a yeah a very japanese note i would say but uh yeah i thought this one was pretty good um the special effects are, are gross and and they linger on the stuff is kind of what you expect in these movies and i enjoyed this one i thought it was a good good guinea pig movie not my favorite but uh in the top sit three of six i don't i don't know probably in the middle it's probably in the middle it's not the worst it's not the best um but yeah that is android of notre dame i enjoyed it i'll show some clips here don't have too much to say about it okay continuing the guinea pig movies watching the last one here is devil doctor woman this also comes with uh greatest uh the guinea pig's greatest cuts on there which i didn't watch but it's kind of a montage movie of the greatest gore clips but uh the devil doctor woman okay this is the weirdest guinea pig movie and i know what you're saying dave weirder than mermaid in a manhole um weirder than uh android of notre dame Notre Dame. Um, yeah, I think it is. And this is more of an anthology picture. What we have here is um, a, a kind of a cross-dressing nurse. Or they, she says she's a doctor. I don't know if the character's considered trans or not back then. It was a little different, you know. But uh, essentially, I think the character is supposed to be female, but it's played by a male. And they hint at it, make jokes about it, and stuff like that throughout the movie. It's a bonkers movie. And she is a doctor. And she's going to explain these weird, kind of bizarre medical cases throughout the entire movie. So she has these different cases. The first one opens up. There's too many. I probably won't remember every one of them, but they're... <laughs> It's such a weird, goofy movie. The tone is is strange. It looks even cheaper than a lot of the other guinea pig movies. So it opens, and we have the first case, which is essentially this family that suffers from a condition if they get mad, um, that their heads boil and they'll explode. So, of course, you know where this is going. We have these really goofy special effects, and the whole family is like a mom, a dad, a grandma, a baby? Yeah, so you know where this is going. And, of course, the doctor is going to be making side comments and goofy things. And, like, a, a couple of the other uh, experiments here are, like, um, cases are somebody bleeds blood and like always has these terrible like uh medieval techniques to cure them and shit like that it's very funny very goofy very weird and the first like 20 minutes i was just like what the fuck is this why is this i was just baffled by how fucking strange this was one of the highlight highlighted shorts is Probably where there's four patients who have all these weird diseases and they're arguing about who has the better, more like a better disease and shit. And it just gets weirder and weirder until we have talking shit and talking alien pus things. I don't, it's so weird and so bizarre and so goofy. Um, the, the worst one, I don't even know if it's the worst one, but we have this dumb clip where there's a cannibal dinner which is not a case like it's not a medical emergency i don't know so all these characters are like going through these dishes that look very cheap with these very cheap fake hands and and just like the the person who's basically the reporter going around and like showing and like tasting all the foods or interested in the foods he goes to like a a liver or like an intestine kind of place and it's a it's an it's a cancer ridden liver that is on the table and he takes a bite of it and he he reflects hmm Tastes like my boyfriend's ass. And I was just like, this is such a fucking 
silly, goofy, gross movie. <laughs> I have no idea what the hell, who, who this is for. Another one that I did enjoy was the zombie uh, rot segment, which is probably the longest it goofy is. And I don't know if it's my favorite, but essentially if you've ever thought, you know, I really want to see a zombie go on a date and have some beers at 90% rot rate, then you might enjoy it. Um, weird movie, funny movie at times, much tamer, I would say. Not It's gross, just as gross as the other guinea pig movies, if not more gross, but I would say as far as the explicit meanness nature to it, it's much, It's not in the same level as the other ones. It's not there. Um, he Never Dies, you know, is probably, the, that's probably the least, I guess, offensive. This one probably be a little bit more offensive than He Never Dies, but who am I? I don't know. Um, anyways, it's a bonkers, weird movie, and I found it very funny, and at first I didn't know if I was going to like it, but by the end of it, I felt like i definitely had to enjoy it you know there is siamese guts their words chasing somebody through the streets i don't know it's cheap it's weird it's gross it's silly it is dr devil devil doctor woman yeah and this is the one i think where one of the actresses who appeared in it would go on to be more famous and some people say that's the reason why it shelved i don't know why the guinea pig movies aren't getting wider releases again but yeah it's a it's a bonkers ass movie so all right uh jeremy's here with me for a couple reviews and this one's going to be kind of brief. This is probably, I think this is the first movie I watched for this week. And I just put it on, just kind of screwed around. And it's called The Curse of Kazu or K-A-Z-A-U. Z-A-O. K-A-Z-A-O? Yeah. Kazo? Kazo Yumezi. Yumezu. Well, he's like kind of a famous Japanese horror writer. And I know that uh, there was a horror theater series made in like 2005 with six short movies. I think they were based off his work. I covered those. So um, besides that, that I, I'm not really familiar with his work. But this is uh, called The Curse of uh, Kazu Yuzmezi. I'm never going to say it. And it's two animated shorts. And I don't know if they were OVAs, possibly for the start of a series. But uh, the animation's really great, um, and they're really creepy and bizarre. So th they kind of have similar stories, I guess somewhat. The first story starts off with... The, a high school student and a new student comes in, a uh, beautiful girl, and this it's it's two girls, and she's completely infatuated with this girl, and she's like memorized by her, and then she starts to feel like she's a vampire and she's been draining her life force, but we have kind of a, a switch in the middle where we realize that's not what's going on. The reveal is awesome, amazing, and it's a unique looking monster I've never quite seen, and it's genuinely horrifying and weird as shit. Loved it. Um, the second story is kind of a fun one about two uh, friends that uh, one's obsessed with horror films and horror and stuff and always forcing her friend to watch these movies. Uh, so what, what were you going to say? Oh, nothing. It's just like deja vu. Go on. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I can only say so many different things on these shows. So essentially, <coughs> stop dying. Yeah. You're not contributing at all. You're just dying. I, I was eating popcorn for the first <laughs> okay, episode. Stop, stop. <laughs> so then... The second episode is about two girls, and uh, one's obsessed with horror, so she dares her to go into this haunted house, and some weird shit happens because there's a scary ghost. Um, now, if I break down the details, it would be completely spoiling these. I imagine that you could find this on YouTube. This seems like a YouTube movie. Yeah. It has subtitles and stuff. Uh, but they're both really creepy, and at first I was like, oh, these are uh, kid-friendly. And then I was like, this is Nightmare Fuel, especially the second one. Second one's Nightmare Fuel. I meant the first one. The, the first one's really scary. Uh, you know, the second one is like... Uh inception one but the first one i think the monster's really cool and i think it might be a bit more graphic um what, what are these like early 90s like very 1990 1990 yeah. okay which is a totally the truth is an underrated year for horror films in oh, general yeah. 90 i mean like people always complain about ni the 90s but i think 90 was probably stronger than 89 well like when it comes to like anime like 
I do have like a preference or soft spot for like the aesthetic of like late eighties, early nineties anime. There's just something about it that like I I don't know, like really attracts me to it. Um you know, and this has that. It, it like the version we saw was a little bit washed out. Um I mean, I don't think there's very many good versions of this movie. This looks like a VHS not. only ever. Right. You know, and like the thing with like OVAs in general, um and a lot of like like really early animes, like before it was like relegated to like T V, um, is you never know what you're going to get, like how long it's going to be. Like you might start a series that might have two, three episodes and then it just stops out of Which nowhere. seems like every every OVA I've ever started. And like I said, right. these are a little better because there's only the two stories, but right. I could have watched like a dozen of these and been fine. Um they're, they're really, like I said, creepy and graphic. The last mm-hmm. one is kind of a it's a kind of a mind screw deal where you're yeah. like you don't know exactly. But the way that the ghost uh, or demon or whatever the hell you want to call it uh, commits the murders is really cool. It kind yeah. of just people running and they don't realize they're cut to pieces already and they kind of fall apart in exactly. like a dark house. It's really cool. And like I said, I can't get into the details about this too much without spoiling everything, but I would give it a nice little recommend. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're all really short. They're like, what, 15 minutes each? If no, they're... they're longer than that. Mm-hmm. I think in total it's probably about an hour. Okay, all maybe, right. maybe 45 minutes to 50 minutes, somewhere around there. I did like the little host that they had for like like the wraparound the guy on the swing or whatever oh yeah 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 he like, was he like was cool. weird and dead and yeah it's very japanese it's very school kind of weird shit like mm. i don't know how to go through it but uh i've been really watching a lot of japanese movies lately it probably the last like two years i probably watched dozens of japanese movies yeah i'd say maybe like last night was the first time this week i saw you watch an italian film it's been a lot of Japanese. i know i know i know i love italian films america italian italy and uh japan are my favorites and then probably hong kong and then spain maybe those are the countries i i I gravitate more so and only america because i was born here and i'm so used to like the 70s stuff that i've just like grown to love it and i do like canadian films too although some people would tell you different (laughs) (laughs) all right that's uh, that's an inside (laughs) joke but cursa uh whatever the fuck it is what is it what what the name of the movie what movie this movie curse oh, i don't so here's uh, the thing like you i'm put, gonna like, have to put clips in here because i can't say the damn word. right we'll put the title like like down here i always put the title there oh but i well he, for he anybody a, listening on audio podcast they're gonna be like what are you talking about i didn't see what the movie was called i was literally making popcorn i came in and only watched like the last and i made you sit minute, on the and then watch the second so I don't, I don't remember what the movie was All called right. but it was really fun if i had to rate it i'd give it a four out of five just because there's not much like this and i really enjoyed it yeah i mean yeah three three and a half to four yeah, somewhere five. in there yeah fun Okay, the next one, I believe it was nominated for Best Picture. I don't keep up on the Oscar shit. And this is by Joel Cohen. It's not by both Cohen brothers. Um, and Dustin picked this for a Patreon pick, Dustin Mills. And he picked The Tragedy of Macbeth. Um, okay, so I, I didn't know much about it. Like I said, I don't keep up on Oscar. Film. It's weird. Like, back in the day, I feel like I used to more. Like, when I was younger, like, you'd be like, that's Best Picture. We all got to watch it. Now, every day, it's like, <laughs> what's nominated? I don't know what that is. I'm, I'm <clears throat> Although, the movie we really enjoyed last year, Promising Young Woman. Was not one best picture, didn't it? Did it win best picture? I, it was nominated. Was it? I, I thought yeah. it was great. I, I love. I like that movie. And usually, like fun. I said, I don't typically watch all of them. Not because I have no interest. It's just because I don't. I don't even know what's going on half the um, time. I'm so like in genre film, right? Did how, how did uh, did Solo do anything in the Oscars or no? no I don't think so. That's a shame because I, I think that was my favorite movie from last year. They don't care. They care. They, they know. They should know. Okay, so Tragedy of Macbeth. Um, it's a story, the Shakespeare story, of course, about a king. A Scottish who, king. Yeah, he believes that he should be the next person to be that, you know, the king. or, the or Scottish king. The Scottish king. He doesn't get it, and he gets revenge. 
how do you say revenge it's very very dark and gross he's kind of pushed forward by his wife to do it and murders he basically goes insane from it um and all that matters is his crown where's your crown king nothing that's a metallica reference from one of the latter albums that everybody hates so once he gets the scottish crown he goes insane you know what's really funny about Macbeth though i mean the thing is funny about Macbeth. (laughs) uh i'm we're gonna spoil this he wants to be the king, but he doesn't even have any offspring. Like, you no, prick. You are such a prick. You're not king because you have no offspring. I, you have no one to inherit it from you. Why do you... It's such an ego trip. And, like, I don't even know if he started with an ego. Like, I feel like it's other people, like, planning in his head. Like, didn't his cousin mention they really thought he was going to be placed? Because in the opening, he, like, he basically, we think he's responsible for leading this army and doing amazing battle and everything like that. Um, which has a nice little scene by um, the father from um, The Witch pops mm-hmm. up. And he's, like, a soldier that recalls the events and everything. And a wonderful voice. Perfect for Shakespeare. Right? Yeah. So, basically, this happens. And he doesn't get what he thinks he's going to get. And Brendan Gleeson is the king. Uh, from Braveheart and 20 Days Later and uh, Dark Blue with Kurt Russell. He takes vengeance on him, uh, led kind of Denzel's Macbeth and his wife is Frances McDormand, uh, uh, Cohen regular. So basically he commits this murder and blames it on other people. And then after a do- insanity, he starts to pick other people off and he just completely destroys himself. Kind of like um, a precursor to the um, Telltale Heart by it, Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah, Telltale Heart. Even the dripping blood. Yeah, Telltale Heart, like... Telltale Heart maybe I don't want to say inspired by this, but definitely similar things the about right. right, like being driven mad by like repetitive sounds, apparitions, um, guilt, guilt, uh, paranoia. The, what like the, he wants the crown because he meets with the three witches and they pretty much say like, oh, the crown will be yours. But he's also with his cousin, I think, and like it's implied like to some extent like it might be. The cousin who's supposed to get the crown, not so yeah. much Macbeth. But then, of course, Lady Macbeth, you know, does her nonsense and kind of like pushes him into doing it. Um, you gotta love that at first she's all for it and trying to keep her shit together. But after she sees that he's lost it so bad, she actually she starts, starts to lose it. it. Uh, the cast is what makes the movie, right? Yeah. And Denzel, at first, it, it was. It, I'm not gonna lie, for Shakespeare, for me, mm-hmm. it's hard to uh, kind of center. Like it takes about 25, 30 minutes for me to get used to everybody. I don't want to say this in a negative. They are obviously acting. It's a performance. Like, all acting is performance, but its I wouldn't say it's a naturalistic performance. It's very theatrical, you know? like But very serious and not campy or hammy like um, Vincent Price. And I mean that as the utmost respect to Vincent Price. You know what I mean? It's a certain element to it that I love. Although he does play different roles like Witchfinder General yeah. and even Cry the Banshee's a little bit more devious and serious and scary as shit. But, like, these are like that without the camp. But it's this weird thing you can see, like, basically they're made for actors to flex their muscle where, like, they can say these things that are not easy on the tongue and add to the vocabulary, but also emote those emotions while saying it. It's hard as shit, and it's very unnatural for me to watch at first until I can basically get it well, down. Yeah, and, you know, there there is a problem with Shakespeare and really Macbeth, um... One is, is the language is 400 years removed from us. So, you know, it is just different. And they're smarter than us. As they're far not necessarily as, I mean, smarter. They, but... they believe dumb things, but they're, they're better spoken. And... Right. Two is um, it's not written in, like, prose. You know, it's not common everyday speak. It's it's poetry. Yeah. So, so yeah, they're acting, but, but at the same time, kind of it's, you know, the, 
all of their lines, you know, have, have a certain amount of syllables, a certain amount of stresses, their long monologues. <laughs> it's like, all soliloquizing right, amongst right, yourself exactly. and it's, in your own depressions and all this right. kind of thing. It, so it's, it's not something where, like, you're acting and you're having chemistry for another character on screen it's it's, the, it's complete opposite of naturalistic it's theatrical right. it's, it's it's theatrical you know it's it's you're you know performing this like 20 line poem and then somebody else does another 20 line poem so, thereafter so, and, and this is is the theatrical version it's not like a ground you know what i mean right it's not a grounded version i do think that it is reduced um it, it just it fe- wasn't a very long movie it's an hour and 45 and, right and you think shakespeare you're like here we go well make and that, that's another thing like is when i'm walking, watching shakespeare it does take me like a moment to kind of get into um you know like like the rhythm of how they're speaking what's going on it does take me you know some time to like get into that mindset and Macbeth is like his shortest play so it's like yeah by the time it's at the halfway point and i'm actually getting into it it's like man, it's about to end it's about so, to end um denzel at first i was like i don't know how i feel like and his it, it took me a while to adjust but by the end of it when he's literally like being a badass and oh, fighting yeah. basically for a fucking crown the piece of metal that's mm-hmm. what he's really and uh, um he's excellent in it like he's clearly unhinged as shit he's probably the best performance in the film um because he's he's pretty much it lives and dies on his shoulders he's right. great in it um denzel is a classic i mean who newsflash denzel's a great actor <laughs> right francis mcdormand's solid um very cold very clinical um mm-hmm. very belt business uh who else pops up in we here get steven root steven for Roots a couple of scenes was a fun great performance he seemed the most natural doing it like he was right. born to do this kind of stuff um also we had brian thompson which is nice to yeah. see him pop up in here i was like brian thompson's in this motherfucker and he was of course uh cast perfectly that's exactly what you would see him <laughs> as and there's some other people who else is in here that uh i, I know i'm forgetting a couple famous there's a lot of younger actors too that right. i'm not as familiar with of course you know i know all like the older actors and character actors and stuff like that you know i i don't know actors that like oh brandon gleason of course i said he's good um but the the characters that did like of course i like the witches lady macbeth was fantastic um the one guy that was kind of like playing both sides of the war he was really good he was really good i did really like him. he had a really sinister face and the movie shot in like this real stark like black and white and the contrast mm-hmm. is ridiculous you see every gray hair you see every blemish you see every shadow on everyone's face and it just matches the desolate landscape and the the, the, the set designs uh, are like so barren trees and... and and like far scope of just nothingness in the distance it's a really really um like uh what is a stylized film right it, it looks a lot like a, like a comic book um some of the the shots like like just like how big and empty yeah, the castle it's is. definitely like a graphic novel yeah it, it, it really it, it is i mean like the characters are like small and these very large empty sets but it it, it adds to like the feeling of isolation i think the I, I i don't know it's fun the king's son sucks he looks weird and yeah, he's like a little half breed. I mean, can I say that? Is I that don't even know what that means. What does that mean? Maybe half breed is like like half breed like, is like a certain racist term. I don't think you mean that. I think you mean like like a Quasimodo. Yeah, you think half I, I don't think you mean half breed, which yeah. would <laughs> be like a reference like John Wayne would make in The Searchers about his nephew. That's not really his nephew. Okay, yeah, okay. I don't want any reference to John Wayne. <laughs> yeah, I, in fact, John Wayne looks better than you right now. 
um but oh, yeah boy. i think you mean uh like kind of like mongoloidish which is also not a proper term um deformed is deformed the, he's the, very but yeah. i'm sure it's the contrast on the thing but it's just so weird that you have brandon gleason as his dad like this big powerful like strong like bombastic guy that you just like look as a father figure i do from 28 days later mm-hmm. and then his son is like kind of like a troll man like, <laughs> and like the son he doesn't, doesn't do anything. He doesn't do anything. Like he, gets, everybody does all his work for him, and then a bunch of people get everyone, killed. Everyone, like everyone, gets it. And like, he's like, now I'm the king of Scotland. <laughs> I did it. <laughs> it's my crown. It's stupid. My dad did everything. <laughs> no, but when Denzel goes to throw down at the end, mm-hmm. like. Because a lot of times he's just sitting there chasing fucking crows in his <laughs> castle. Everybody's like, "What's what are you doing?" So like, and he fights at the end. It's it's really good stuff. And like, of course. You know right. how he dies, right? And it, it's pretty great. Yeah, the um, the scene with Washington, or, uh, yeah, Washington chasing the crows was um, it made me think of the Fulci joke. Oh, stop it! We're not. <laughs> yeah, don't we, tell I, the I can't, joke. yeah, I can't. Tell um, the I liked it. Joke. I don't know how to rate this kind of thing because, like I said, not I'm not a, a lover of Shakespeare, but I'm not a hater. Like Shakespeare's stories are, you know, the basis for ninety percent of movies. Uh, I liked it. I would probably enjoy it more on a second watch too. Um, um I. I liked it. I do like Shakespeare. Macbeth is always kind of fun. Um, yeah, I've never seen a performance of Macbeth. I've only ever read it. Um, I did always want to see the uh, Roman Polanski's the Macbeth. Polanski Macbeth. Well, I have know? that, and you know, I, I just like to compare them because I like when we I was watching this, it did feel like it was shortened somehow. Like at least how I remembered certain things. Granted, it has been twenty years since I've read Macbeth. Twenty five years, give or um, take. Right. Um, 35, I think, though. It might be 35. Yes. But, so, you know, so, like, maybe I don't remember all the way. And actually, when we were done watching, I grabbed my book, and I'm like, is this shortened? Is this different somehow? I don't remember it ending in the way that um, it ended. I do like the witches in the beginning. Their poem is great. Oh, course. the witches and are the, great. Uh, some By the prick of my thumb, something wicked this way comes. Which... Isn't that the middle... That is, but them, the, yeah. yeah, the opening is is great too, right. and, and it reminded me of um, when they do Macbeth in Oz, the television show Oz. They do Macbeth. Do they do Macbeth? Yeah, they do Macbeth, and in the very beginning, they have the witches, and I don't remember who the third witch is, but no, the first witch is a poet, which is perfect. Remember poet, mm-hmm. and then the second one is actually um, Windows from the Thing. And he's like, he's like that real weird, goofy character in there who, I don't know why I'm going to go on a tirade about uh, Oz, but there's a really funny scene when like Ryan O'Reilly frames him for loving the doctor that he's in love with, Dr. Nathan. And like, he has to frame somebody else. And like Ernie Hudson confronts that guy because he framed him. And he's like this goofy son of a bitch. And he's like, you're obsessed with Dr. Nathan. Admit it. He's like, I mean, she's got great tits and all. And then he like immediately gets like grabbed. He's like, ah! <laughs> and it just cracked me that, up. That's the last episode, isn't it? It's one of them because obviously they have Vern Schillinger and, um, that's how... and Beecher playing with the Macbeth story. I don't want to spoil Oz, but yeah. I don't want to spoil this 1997 yeah, yeah, I, I to 2003 <laughs> television HBO show. But... I couldn't remember if they, if they were doing Macbeth or Hamlet. Um, well, I have, yeah, I they have the three Macbeth. witches. Yeah, they have the they... three witches, and I think Vern Schillinger, whatever. There's witches in all of Shakespeare. Nah, no, nah, they do the, the Doyle and Drum bullshit. Um, I like the movie. I don't know how to rate it. Uh, um, enjoyed. Um, and the Coen brothers are, are some of the best. And this is only Joel directing. I don't know. I remember if one's a writer and one's a director. I don't remember how they break apart their movies. But, of course, they did stuff like Big Lebowski. Fargo, um, Oh Brother, Where Are Thou? You know, classic filmmakers. The only one of those I've seen Raising is... Raising Arizona. I've seen that one. Big Lebowski. Is that the bowling one? Big Lebowski's the bowling one. With, um... John Goodman. Yeah. Am I the only one who cares about the goddamn rules? I, yeah. I've, I've seen that one, and that might 
Didn't they do Q, or am I thinking of something else? You think of Q, the Winged Serpent? Yeah. Why would you think they did Q, the Winged Serpent? That movie was made in 1982. They didn't even make their first movie until Blood Simple, which had to be in the, at least mid-80s. All right, we're done. No, who, um, who did Q? 90s. Q, the Winged Serpent, directed by Larry <coughs> Cohen. And who are these guys? The Cohen brothers, Joel and Ethan Cohen. So are they related? No, their names are not even spelled the right, same way. Oh, but they're just pronounced the same. Yeah. So... For the past, like, 87 years, I thought that the Coen brothers and, and, and the Coen guy were all the same person. Jeez, how could you think that? That guy would be, like, 75, he'd be, like, 100 I mean, years old. How could I think that? Because you just always say, oh, it's a Coen picture. Coen. It's, it, we're watching the Coen picture today. Stop. <laughs> Stop. We're done. This is over. <laughs> okay, now let's hop into those 94 movies. Prison officials say Dahmer's head may have been bashed against a wall. Of last-minute appeals failed to stop the execution of America's most notorious mass murderer, John Wayne Gacy. Throughout, Chikatilo presented himself as a wretched victim of nature's indifference. Say the truth. Reality. What do you know about reality? It's not a story. This is not reality. Not reality. Not reality. This is reality. <laughs> the delusion of a disordered mind, a phantom, a spirit, a ghost. Look, he hasn't got any villages, and the coma he's in is irreversible. Give me a signature and I'll pull the plug now. Fuck off. <laughs> Okay, so uh, I already covered this one for 1994, but I was like, well, I, I didn't want to rewatch it because uh, I enjoyed it, and it's a goofy, weird movie. It's got a lot of love recently because it got released in the Gore Cut by Vinegar Syndrome. Blu-ray looks fantastic. 4K looks fantastic. I'm not going to talk about the special features because I covered those already, but this is uh, Tammy and the T-Rex, starring, of course, Paul Walker, Denise Richards, Ta uh, Teddy Kaiser, who plays Bernie from Weekend at Bernie's, uh, and some great character actors in Sean Whalen, Buck fucking Flower, um, Ken Carpenter, and John Golf. Or Golf, or G-O-F-F. -F, I never know how to say his name. Anyways, this movie's got a lot of fun character actors. It's a lot. It's a really ridiculous... What are you laughing for? Silly movie. No, I'm laughing because for some reason my feet are sticking to the floor and I don't know why. Because you've got gross... syrup in here. There's no syrup in my movie room. I can guarantee that. If there is syrup, <laughs> is you brought it on your gross-ass fucking <laughs> hobbit feet. Okay, so... We're going to talk about Tammy and the T-Rex, um, which is about... So, okay, here we go. Uh, this is in a world that does not exist and should never exist, but uh, basically this young kid, he is taken to an uh, by an evil medical examiner after some bad gang fucks him up and 
they put his brain in an animatronic T-Rex, but hey, they forget to erase his brain, so he goes back to the girl of his dreams, Denise Richards, and it's up to Denise Richards and uh, this T-Rex to, you know, basically prove that their love never dies. I don't know fucking anything, but um, the funny thing is um, the side characters are probably what make the movie. Oh, yeah. um, the groin fight is really funny, and uh, Paul Walker's demeanor is very funny in the movie. Like, I feel like he's in on the joke. Him yeah, and I Denise forget Richards. that Paul Walker is in this. Yeah, I mean, like, I wasn't too familiar with Paul Walker because I never watched the Fast and the Furious movies, but I know he's kind of a semi-beloved actor after that, especially. Obviously had an untimely death, but uh, Denise Richards, it's crazy, she's in this, too. I mean, Who, who is Denise She'd go Richards? on in Wild Things, start Troopers, she's a bunch of movies. Oh, is that her? Yeah. Okay. Um, All right. But really, who steals the show from Teddy Kaiser is absolutely hilarious as the evil scientist. He's always saying weird, one-off, perverted shit to his uh his helper. Teddy Kaiser is the main villain, yeah. not the guy He's... from the corn movie. Yeah. He... Okay. The corn movie. The corn movie. Corn movie. The one that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. The scientist who's basically in this too, who's uh, Isaac from Children of the Corn. He's also. The corn uh, movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He actually is ridiculous. Everybody in this movie seems like they're having the best time of their life. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie. Um, the people who really Teddy Kaiser I said is great in it, but the cops stole the show for me. Yeah. Buck Flower and Ken Carpenter and these guys. If you look up their uh, career. Um, they were in so many movies together, including Blood Games and uh, a handful of movies. Like, if Ken Carpenter was in it, like, Buck Flower was sure to be there, too. And I gotta throw in John Golf too, uh, that actor, because he's in a slew of movies with Buck Flower. And I think all three of these guys are friends. Like, uh, the, the Goff guy is in um, the Bill Robain movie, Alpha Incident, which is really good. And Buck Flower's great in that. He plays, like, a drunk who gets in the train and releases some weird chemical. But also, he's in Berserker. With uh, is the weird slasher movie uh, about the Norse killer, I'm, I'm, the Berserker killer. I'm not fucking making this up, but Buck Flowers in that too, and he's got this little goatee, and he's with John Golf. So I mean, like Ken Carpenter, John Golf, and Buck Flower. If you take their like combination of movies they were in, they're probably in like one, one or the other. They're all in like each other. I don't think they've ever did a movie by themselves. Who's Ken Carpenter? Ken Carpenter is the other cop with Buck Flower. He's in Hellraiser so who, Three. So who's the other guy? Buck Flower. The guy's like uh, the other guy. The third guy you're saying? Uh, he's the drunk. Everybody knows I'm just a drunk. Yeah, he's fucking hilarious. He looked, too. Yeah, he did look familiar. Yeah, um, he's, I he's like, the main guy in the Alpha Incident, um, and he's he's really good in it. I feel like every scene of like the cops was like ad libbed. Um, so so essentially, like uh, the sheriff, um, he has a gay son who's basically Paul Walker's best friend. And, like, there's all these lines that, like, Buck Flower and Ken Carpenter say, like, under their breath. Because they're, like, bigot cops. Right. And they're, perfor- they're portrayed as morons. They're portrayed as backwoods fucking hillbillies, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, they'll say all this other, like, when they're calling in the radio. That scene made me laugh out loud. And I completely forgot about <laughs> it. When they're chasing a the T-Rex, they're like, Sheriff, you're, you're at faggot. Like, your son stole the T-Rex. Like, he wants to go call him that, but he stops himself. It's just so funny. And there's such... It's such a goofy, weird movie. Not to mention that this was originally released in the States as, like, trying to advertise as a kid's movie, but no one knew it was originally shot as a gore film, and it was, like, a joke. It's a bizarre movie. So they found the gore stuff. It's all back in, and it's gory as shit. Well, like, when they... um, When the cops go to, like, the party after the... Tyrannosaurus. Of course, the T-Rex wants to get revenge on the bullies. Right, you know, so, so the there's, like, gore all over the place, and just, like, their scenes, like, you know, he can't even bait his own hook. Like, they're, yeah. like, poking at the dead bodies with sticks and everything. And, like, the sheriff's thrown up. He's like, I bet he don't even bait his own hook. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, they, they were really fun. And then, you know, at, at, like, the end, they're, like, all crying and everything when the T-Rex is dead. <laughs> Oh, spoiler. Oh, yeah, spoiler, but T-Rex is dead. <laughs> uh, um, Teddy Kaiser is fucking hilarious in here, and then he's just like, I know she was with him. 
Why? I could tell by the way she's walking. Ray, he was so lewd. Can you imagine if that was in the kids' version? I don't know if it was. Like, I'd like to see the kids' version just to see how... Because the movie, it's insane as it is. Like, who's this for? I mean, honest to God, I, I never want to watch this ever again. What? But, um... I I, mean, I loved it, but like I I wouldn't want to watch a kids version of it because oh, yeah. I think that the appeal of it is like that weird mixture mixture that I like, agree off color like tonally dissonant like what is this like like who gave this guy money to make this and like well, why didn't anybody fucking stop him they basically they had an animatronic T Rex they said let's make a movie and he said okay where's the script he said you we're starting next week we don't have a script which is. Like plot wise, I'm just like baffled by it. So this, why would you want to put your this doctor sell to the military? Right. Well, they never even say that, do they? I don't know what his end goal is. It's literally like I made this giant robotic T Rex, and and I want to put a human brain in it. But well, he He has a computer first. It has a computer first, and and then like the the little corn guy is um manipulating it, and he's like like. Like, dicking around with the evil scientist. He's like, yeah, I'll just get my own brain to put in this and it'll be evil somehow. Why? I don't fucking know. So he, then he takes a dead body for... Not even a dead body, a comatose body in Paul Walker yeah. and puts his brain in it. To what end? Just because he could? I mean, you know, that that's what makes a great scientist in general. It's <laughs> You thought about so much <laughs> if you could do it. But you thought if you should, the Jurassic Park, right. Jeff Goldblum line here. No, but there's a lot of funny stuff when they're trying to steal a new body for Paul Walker and they're bringing up all those bodies. And the morgue like, scene is fantastic. It's, it's just stupid. Like, yeah. this isn't going to be for everybody. Like, if you're hearing what we're saying, you're like, that sounds awful. That doesn't sound funny at all. Watch the trailer. Maybe have a couple beers. <laughs> some other things if you need to. Because this is definitely that movie. And just relax and laugh and have a good time. Well, like like when they're... um, When they... when. Again, because the, the science is whatever, so they want to put his brain back in the body of a dead person. Um, I don't know how they'd revive the dead person. You know, Apparently, but, but that's just easy now. It's like, oh, everybody's old, and then they find a couple of young ones, and so they're like, like oh, this one's fine, and you know, they're like, wait, 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 they wait. They keep tearing him to the window to show the T-Rex. Yeah, because the T-Rex, the T-Rex like, should have like a saying what he wants his body to be. He's like, got those little arms. He's like, but they like, they like hold up a girl and, and uh, is it Denise Richards? Yeah. She's like, I don't want a girl. And, and the T-Rex is like thinking about if he wants to be a girl or not. It's so stupid. It is um, very dumb. Yeah, but no, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, there's some like hokey effects, like clearly... They just kind of like shot like the rough cut of like the T Rex writing in the distance. Oh, the and, digital stuff that was bad. You know, and I don't know if they like took the time to necessarily clean it up, but I mean, you know, it's in there. It, it looks um, fun. it looks amazing on that's a 4K. Like it looks so bright and the colors pop. It looks right. really good. The first time I watched, I think I watched it on my old TV. Now I have HDR, and it definitely shows. Well, I can't remember because I remember you watching just a few years ago. Not even that. Probably like last year. What's it last year? I have no idea. I can't Time remember. is a flat circle. I don't know how it works anymore. I fall asleep and I wake up and I don't know. I live between weekends. <laughs> I don't live between weekends. I'm like, <laughs> um, you know. I mean, it, it was fun. It was worth the watch. Like I said, I don't know if I ever like want to necessarily watch it again because I, I do think that it's kind of. Although you watched it the second time, but I think just me watching it with you. It, I watched it alone the first time and I liked it. Right. Um, the second time I thought it was the funniest fucking thing I right. ever with somebody. Like, it like was watch super this funny. with with watch this with a party. Right. Uh, not like a loud party. You gotta have to hear the dialogue. Yeah, you need but... to be able to like like sit down and focus and watch. But you should watch it with like a group of friends that want to watch a movie. Yeah. You know, I mean, there, there's been plenty of times where I've been at a party and somebody puts in a fantastic movie, but 
yeah. you don't really get a chance to watch yeah, I put it. in Demon Wind at some party, and somebody walked by like, what the fuck is this? This is like 10 years ago. That was at ago. my house, yeah. <laughs> like, somebody was like, like, why? They're all drunk. They're like, right. oh, karate demons. <laughs> They're like beating up demons with the karate. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I like it. It's very fun. Um, I don't, we're done? Yeah, sure. All right. Uh, after Tammy, we got another one for Full Moon. This is a rewatch. I've actually seen this movie a couple times, but I already covered it on the channel probably a couple months ago. But I couldn't leave it on the table and not rewatch. And it is Shrunken Heads by Richard Elfman. I really enjoy Richard Elfman's Forbidden Zone. I kind of have some respect for the modern vampires movie he did, but I've always kind of had a soft spot for Shrunken Heads. Well, not necessarily a soft spot. It grew on me. Let's say that when I saw it as a kid, I was just baffled what the hell this was. It's kind of like who made this? Who's this for? Kind of like Tammy the T Rex. But when I rewatched, I, I liked it better. As an adult and rewatching it this time, I still enjoy it. The music is by Danny Elfman and uh, um, uh, Richard Band, so it's got good music. And of course, the opening theme you know, Dan, the director Richard Elfman, it's Oingo Boingo, his brother's Danny Elfman. Boom, there you go, right? So, Danny Elfman, of course, a uh, legendary composer. And Richard Elfman is also super bizarre. So, this is a weird movie that feels like it's part kids' movie, part horror film. Don't know who it's for. Has uh, memorable people like Meg Foster in there playing a mobster, very fun character. So, essentially, what happens is we have these kind of third, three comic book nerd kids, and they're killed by a, a gang. And uh, Mr. Sumatra, who runs the comic shop, the newsstand. Uh, basically the kind of voodoo practitioner and maniac cop three, who's responsible for bringing back, uh, Cordell, uh, third time or second time, whatever you want to say is basically a kind of a voodoo guy in this as well. And he sees what happens to the poor kids. So he decides to turn them into vengeful shrunken heads that float around the city at night and kill, clean up crime, kill criminals. And when the criminals are killed, they turn into like, uh, the graffiti cleaning zombies. It's a bonkers ass movie. Like I said, uh, there's a lot of fun stuff. Richard Elfman's cameo is top notch. Love it. Uh, crack, cracking it. My cracks myself up. Well, I crack up watching it and like that whole end scene on the bus. It, it's just really very high energy and really funny. It's just a fun, weird movie that only certain people will like. It's not going to be for everybody. I don't know how, who will like it, but it's so z weird and zany that I kind of have to love it at the same time like i said i'm not going to get into too much in depth in this i've already covered this film on here before but uh yeah it, it's just like i said just a really fun movie on here um who, who else pops up in here of course they mentioned meg foster but yeah um not not too many people that you right you might recognize somebody you don't know their names like one of the bullies the big bully the meathead guy is very memorable and we have like one of the elfman's kids in here i think it's rich elfman's kids the other goon but yeah it, it's a fun weird movie and there's some inappropriate stuff that didn't age well with like the shrunken head kind of feeling up his girlfriend it's just really weird anyway shrunken heads yeah you know what exactly kind of what you're getting into if you i don't know actually it's, i don't know how to explain it it is what it is kind of finish up the full moon movies that i, I watched for um 94 and the first up is trancers Four, uh jack of swords uh starring tim tomberson that's right this is from the trancers box set if anybody doesn't have that it's probably out of print but you can pick up all the transfer movies one two and three on blu-ray and dvd and you can pick up four and five separate on dvd so here we go okay Trancers for Jack of Swords. This is a period piece. This time around, Stephen Mott goes to send Tim Thomerson somewhere to do another mission, but he accidentally gets sent into like this weird alternate dimension. I don't think it's time travel necessarily, but he's sent to an alternate dimension where uh, basically the Trancers are elite, like in charge of this medieval kind of place. Um, the main bad guy is he appears to be some sort of Trancer kind of uh, wizard at the same time. He has a bunch of goons. Right off the bat, Tim Thomerson finds like a, a trancer in the woods and kills them. 
Um, and there is a cool monster in the very beginning as well. And essentially, this is just Tim Thomerson trying to survive and meet up with the renegades to kind of basically fight the baddies. That's essentially the plot of the film. Um, there is a trancer that is the son of the main baddie that ends up turning on him and joining his side. So, yeah, it's okay. Uh, Tim Thomerson's fun. He's got lots of good one-liners, and I really don't know that much to say about it. Uh, it's not the best transfers, as obviously it's not as good as 1, 2, or 3 so it's starting to lose some of it it's very very standard um as far as some of the acting is concerned like by the b players they're not very good and i feel like some of them are 80 yard so it doesn't really work that well um there's a decent amount of action in here it's not gratuitously gory or sexually explicit or anything essentially this could be played to your kids it's very very kind of tame uh, but it is a sword and kind of sandal wizardy thing and it's okay it's not great um wouldn't give a high recommend there's some funny gags in here that tim thomerson weapons don't work like they used to so his his slow down watch now he only slows down it's kind of funny to see tim thomerson be really goofy i like seeing that but uh yeah it's an okay movie um it's not perfect it is transfers for jack of swords and you're going to catch a pattern here with them kind of making jokes with the little you know like title after the title from now on now the final transfers movie from 1994 the final in this box set and the final one i'll be covering i don't think i'll watch six i might try to watch the one lost uh the one made between one and two like the short but this is transfers five sudden death that's right we're getting more goofy titles here this pickup picks up where the last one left off and we thought we stopped the baddies the evil transfers in their castle that's not the case here so essentially what happens is i believe that tim thomerson wants to get back to his home i'm mixing four and five up he wants to get back to his own time so him and the transfer son decide to go to this kind of weird place like basically a dungeon they have to walk through and overcome all these things think you know ulysses on a transfer's full moon level and he's got to get to the thing to find this crystal and take him back to time but the main wizard sorcerer is not dead of course so that's going to play into this and there's going to be a big battle at the end with the remaining baddie transfers and everything like that. Um, there's going to be crystal play and everything. And there's some fun kind of cool moments, I guess, like I said, Ulysses style kind of stuff in here where, you know, there's a room full of beautiful women that are trying to distract them. I don't have all that much to say about it. It's about as good as the fourth one. It doesn't really do much. Um, there's a cool battle scene in the very beginning where they raid the castle, which I enjoyed. But as far as they're concerned, the Transfers movies aren't necessarily great or anything like that. I mean, the latter day sequels like four and five, but they are decent time wasters. These would definitely be something that you pop on on Sci-Fi Channel as a kid and enjoy your time or just kind of veg out in front of the television vision set so if you like tim thomerson i would check it out if you don't then i would steer clear i did kind of was bummed out that shark wasn't in either four or five but they do explain what happened to him in part four so yeah that is the transfers four and five they don't look great i don't know if these were really remastered very well um because a lot of the blu-rays look really good but some of the dvds are a little little yeah iffy you know what i mean from the old catalog and full moon this is from that kangaroo remember kangaroo if anybody doesn't know the story behind kangaroo it's a uh, full moon's branch in australia that's right yeah uh, a great way to release your movies without you know having the rights to them in the new states just make region free movies and say they're canadian uh, australian releases clever clever girl uh yeah Okay, and the last one for 1994 is another full moon movie. Not necessarily a horror film, but it is a sci-fi movie. And it was one that I always enjoyed as a kid. It 
technically could be the weekly western and this is oblivion uh yeah that's right this is a wild west movie kind of meets sci-fi which is a rare combination but it's pretty cool so uh the cast in this movie is what really makes it so essentially what we follow here is an empath who comes back because his father is killed the share his father was a sheriff and mike genovese he comes back to kind of at the for the funeral but he gets drug in he doesn't want to be involved with this and he ends up fighting a gang that kind of runs like you know chaos in this town and the gang is led by Red Eye, played by Andrew Divoff, who plays the in the Wishmaster. He's the Wishmaster. He's also in Graveyard Shift. He's in a bunch of movies. The Rage, good character actor, very memorable toy soldiers. And uh, essentially, he plays this weird lizard creature that runs this, this gang consisting of Erwin uh, Keyes. Is Erwin Keyes one of the... I think he is. That's his name. And uh, yeah. And, and so basically, yeah, it's just an Old West. A lot of like these tropes kind of turned on their heads in the sci-fi style and they're very comedic and everything like that. And of course... He's going to have to, you know, build up his courage to fight them, but he's going to have some friends along the way. A Native American character, Mag Foster, who is the deputy, who's like a cyborg. So and we're also going to, that's a second Mag Foster full movie from 1994. We also have a bunch of other people who make appearances in here. Uh, Isaac Hayes as a shop uh, bartender, Julie Newmar, George Taki from Star Trek, uh, Carol Strucken, who's Lurch, and he, he plays the... Uh, uh, the uh, Paul, uh, the mortician, uh, basically, and every time he shows up, he knows somebody's going to die. It's really entertaining, really funny. Um, the movie has some really cool stuff in here, uh, as far as that makes me, that's just very nostalgic for me. There is this cool, this crazy game where these characters have arm wrestling and they put this weird, evil toad poisonous frog toad on the table and it smells your fear and if you're arm wrestling whoever loses the frog jumps after if you start to fear i love that scene um they have a cool thing like night scorpions in here that's fun it is a low budget cheap sci-fi western and like just uh, an idea alone that's kind of cool who really, like I said, steals the show is Andrew Divoff in Red Eye. All the bad guys are fun, though. I mean, we have like the typical kind of like badass cowboy in the gang. We have the kind of Mexican dancer bad guy, and then we have like the the whip character, which uh, she's like this uh, BDSM whip character. She's like she's kind of memorable too. And then Erwin Keys is like your kind of. Um, you know, David, Jim Bowie, uh, Davy Crockett kind of um, mountain man character, but he's really like super like, you know, crazy and goofy. Um, so, yeah, it's like I got a lot of comedy, a lot of silliness to it, a lot of like these stereotypes just over exaggerated even in this. But Andrew Divoff, he screams all his lines in the movie. And he and I don't mean that as an insult. He is the perfect level of over the top. But there's a line in here that I, I, I always found very funny where Mike Genovese is getting called out to have a shootout with them. And, re, and he's like you got a problem red eye and and uh andrew devil's like yeah yeah are you and he's just like screaming and he's like definitely it's just a fun over the top performance i'm like he'll he'll like adapt some of the lizard qualities and he'll like like he'll like like do shit like that it's just a fun performance you can tell he's having a great time and he's doing a great job behind the makeup and he's selling it selling it selling it better performance than this movie deserved and i enjoyed the movie if that makes that so like there's a lot of people just having a lot of goofy fun in here and, and if you like really like kind of like uh character actors then you'll enjoy yourself watching oblivion to be honest so it's even got the joke where red eye crash lands and you know the town's got the sign out that says population so and so when he grabs this little creature off it and takes a bite of it and he, cro he crosses it off in blood and changes the letter from nine to eight it's just like come on it's just yeah you'll either dig this or you won't um but it is what it is it's oblivion it's a fun comedy sci-fi western deal yeah from 1994 Okay, this next one here is uh, the animated movie. It was a uh, blind spot for me, and I picked it 
Uh, obviously, it was for me. Uh, Perfect Blue, 97, 98. Um, I can't remember 100%. But yeah, this is a strange film. I know it, some people say it's like a, a animated giallo or anime giallo. And I can kind of see that, but it feels more like more like a Brian De Palma animated deal. Like, yeah. Which is kind of like a giallo at the same time. Like, I don't know. It, it's definitely that kind of deal. So essentially what we have here is we follow a pop singer who is kind of being forced into a film career as an actress. And... She, I don't know if she has mental issues at first, but they most definitely surface as things go on where there's an obsessed fan who runs a website that claims that it's her. And uh, as it progresses, there's some murders that pop up, people that are trying to change her career or supposedly bad influences on her as she kind of fades away from like the innocence and goes into like the more adult kind of part of her life, I guess, or career, whatever you want to call it, mm. and kind of seedy stuff that's really uncomfortable. And this person kind of obviously does not enjoy this and kind of makes their own alter ego of this person, and it affects the actress herself into thinking that there is an alter ego. And then we start having this weird kind of mind fuck of a movie of editing and splicing and changing and all this kind of weird stuff and psychological insanity. And, and it's pretty great. It, it's really a film about, I think like identity, identity. And like, it's like a split. Um, <laughs> it, it, your old self and your new self and the old self or like the path you could have taken versus the path that you ultimately took um there's a lot of things where like if she was still with her idol band what would they be doing now and she kind of like projects herself in like the group at times um versus you know this is her you know the the path that she ultimately taken and like her her idol self coming to her actress self and like hey you kind of messed up um the way that this movie is shot is you never know like what's real and what's fake um on, on one hand you have like alternate timelines you have you know just straight up illusion and then you have like the the idea that a lot of it's shot through like the lens of a film yeah, so you don't know necessarily you like three layers there, because right, and then you have like hallucinations, probably by both, uh, you know, versions of her. I right. think like so, like she'll be following the pop star. She'll be the film version of star of her, and she'll be following the pop star version, hopping away. She'll follow her, and she'll see her on stage. But then all of a sudden, she'll snap to reality, or there'll be a weird transition where now she's on the film set in a mm -hmm. rape scene, and then it's just fucked up. And then it'll right. cut to like the super fan watching at a distance, and it's insane. It's just super bizarre. But as you watch it, it makes complete sense. But when you go to explain it, like just the techniques and stuff, this would have to be one of those movies where you decide. Like, uh, like literally dissected scene by scene and editing techniques mm -hmm. just to show how ingenious that kind of stuff is. Um, just like the bright light will come to and another like, and, and she'll wake up from a dream or a nightmare. But the twist that happens is pretty genius. And yeah. it's a, more than one twist I loved. Um, and, and I just want to say this, and it's probably inappropriate, but it made me laugh when I thought about it. This is the Selena movie we deserved. They <laughs> did. This is terrible, but true. Anyway, it's ever seen Perfect Blue. This is the Selena movie we've deserved. Uh, and you won't get it unless you see the movie, but it's just um, perfect. Like, it's so sad, though, too. Like, the rape scene that she has to film on set is more disturbing than rape scenes in movies, like, that typically. Like, just because it's, like, 
Because you see, like, her producer, her, her like, um, her agent, her and, agent. like, her handler watching, and, like, they're just heartbroken by it. One's embarrassed, and one's just, and you see her just going through it, and it's like, um, ever that, after that, there's, like, a switch in her mentality and character completely. Well, like, that's when she starts to even crumble further and starts to read about the old version of her. Right. Um, and I think it starts is that, like, you know, she doesn't have internet, um, but she gets like a like a flyer for like her fan website, and you know when she she's got that ego, a little bit of ego, a little bit a of sweet ego. innocence. But it also mentioned sorry, I'll just finish. But it also brings up the fact that people critiquing or criticizing celebrity can have an adverse effect on their psychic. I mean, their psychosis oh, as well. Yeah, um, you know, but like her agent, like like she like hooks up her internet, and it's like it's weird because like the, the website is like, it's her diary, like, and it's like photos of her, like in her room, like, like she's clearly being spied on somehow, but like nobody knows how this is happening. But, and, and but she doesn't, what, what is her name? I can't think of her name right now. Me, 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 no, it starts with the M. Yeah, I yeah, I can't remember. Um, but like you know, she she doesn't register it like this is creepy. You know what I mean? She does eventually when, eventually. especially when it starts to stray from the truth. And like she was on the movie set, but now she's shopping, and there's a picture right. of her. Like, and then she doesn't understand how this person's knowing it, and then she starts taking, like like the false states that are in the diary. Like, she's like that didn't happen. Well, it must have if it's here. Um, it, you know, like I said, it's like like it's very hard to tell what's real or not. Um, but you know, obviously when she leaves her idol group, um, you know, the idol band like rises in popularity as a duet. It's and be bad for your ego. Right. And then, you know, here she is, you know, kind of like struggling to become like a main actress, and, but and she starts off just in bit roles and then she like roles. slowly goes into like adult film. She goes into adult film and, and it, it, you know, it's like, she has like that rape scene, um, which is like one of the most graphic things without it being actually graphic. I've seen in a while. And then, um, yeah, ending in like you know porn shoot more or less, um, and the like her her former coworkers like talking about her. No, it it is like like a stunningly like it's a beautiful film. I love the way it's animated and like the story is like yeah super intense to follow. And, and it says a lot. Like I said, it says mm-hmm. a lot about you know obsessive fandom, psych your psychological state doing this kind of stuff. And and also there's a thing I believe in other countries that's more prevalent than the United States where if your handlers, if you're a pop star or celebrity or sports icon come to you and say, Well you're no longer, you know, doing this, you're doing this and they say, Okay. Right. Because like I it's reminded of in Russia when they told Fedor you're not gonna fight Sambo anymore, you're fighting MMA and he said that was the most depressing time of his right. life at, at that point. I mean at that point. Because it was like you train your whole life for something you get very good at it, and then it's all gone. And they also did something in Japan that I'm comparing it to is uh, another Fedor story, is the professional wrestler uh Yugi Nagata, I believe is the wrestler, and he was just a wrestler, right? Mm-hmm. They said you're fighting in Pride, which is an actual uh, mixed martial arts competition and you're fighting Fedor. And he didn't say anything about it. He said, okay, and did it. Like, even obviously, you know, you're just, when you're just a professional wrestler. You're going to get the shit beat out right. of you, but that's what the people want, so that's what we're going to give them. Which kind of like had the opposite effect of Brock Lesnar, I feel, to a degree. Like, he actually did pretty well, I think. But they didn't. But, his handlers didn't do that. Right. Um. You, you know, but, like, the thing is, like, with, like, idol culture in general, like, like in Japan and in South Korea, it's, like, it's very controlled by the agent. Like, they make you 
what they want you to be, what's going to so it's not based on like what you want to do so much. It's like And I know that with pop stars they don't have much control. Yeah, they they don't have much control. Um, you know, the average lifespan of an idol in Japan's like two or three years and after that they just put them down. Where do they go? They just retire. In the grave. Stop. Uh, they just retire. <laughs> no, no, I, I was lying. Um but <laughs> It wasn't a joke. It was a joke. I mean, a lot of people don't have long shelf lives here either. Right. But, you know, like when you look Think at stuff. Think about if you're a catchphrase on a commercial. You got that like <laughs> that like four week period where like, look what happened to fucking Jared. The colors, Duke. The colors. <laughs> that dog. That dog got put down <laughs> right. right after that commercial. He's gone. He bit someone. He bit the popsicle. I'm colorblind, kid. <laughs> he um, bit the popsicle. You're not supposed to eat the cherries, Duke. <laughs> it just has a seizure. It's grape flavored. Um, that got really dark. So anyways. Uh... <laughs> And then when he's dying, he gives out. Wait, stop! He gives the camera Mitchell from Toolbox Murders. He's like, like, cause he ate the grape, and he says uh, they ask her what heaven looks like. It says purple. He's like, it's purple. <laughs> Finally, this is so obscure references. Right, like, nobody knows what we're talking. <laughs> we're talking about a '90s popsicle commercial right. mixed with the camera Mitchell and Toolbox Murders. <laughs> so, anyways, um, but no, when when you look at like idols in Japan, um, I don't know. Back back when I was a kid, I used to follow all the idols. Like, look at, like, say, something like Final Fantasy VII. So when they started releasing additional games in the Final Fantasy VII universe, there was one where they took, like, a Japanese pop idol. I can't remember if it was Hyde or Gact. One that was really big at the time, like, early 2000s, like 2005, six, And they made him a main character in the game, right? Like, like the main villain. Hmm. Well, then, like, he... He became obscure like after like a year or two like like nobody talked well, about that, that him. does happen too like that'd be like if you were playing a video game and the noid popped up you're and like the what is the up? noid but you know but think what about, is this right but think of like those licensed games like when you buy these compilations of things like you don't ever see the licensed games because like those licenses run out so in the case of like final fantasy 7 where they make this whole complex lore and backstory based around the likeness of a real person who is then no longer relevant, and at the same time, doesn't do, do want using their fucking face. Right, like Mike they, Tyson's punch out. Right? Like, do they own their own likenesses? Like, like what happens? Mike you, Tyson ain't gonna be in a game forever with Soda Pop Pinsky. Right. He's got ex- to ex- keep ex- exactly. You know, or like you don't get the Cool Spot game on your you know Nintendo Switch emulator. Like it, it's it's yeah. weird. But like, when that's... are they gonna add the Noid to Super Smash Brothers? Right. Um. <laughs> they won't. <laughs> Wasn't he on a Sega? <laughs> but 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 no, but like like that's like the weird thing of idols in Japan is they just kind of like cycle through them. Um, I think they tend to be a bit more long lived in Korea. Um, I I think that, like with the it's, bands, it's are... hard for American child actors to survive. Kurt Russell was a child actor. Ethan Hawke, they make it, but it's not easy. It's not. I think Drew like, Barrymore, it's not easy. Like like one in four Disney kids like actually makes it to adulthood. Like, think about some of the other child actors, how bad they had. Poor Corey I, I am making up these stats, by the way, just so everyone knows I'm not being serious. We're just taking a page out of the politician's book. Right, but, yeah. Like, the only way to make your stat relevant is say, put a word from only when you're trying right. to make it sound better. Or, or uh, like, oh, like uh, you just got to put the word in front of it. Only or a whopping or whatever the fuck you say. I don't know. The average human eats, like, seven raccoons in one evening. Yes. Um, Fact. Uh, but... 
Yeah, so let's so, get back to the movie. So we're back to the movie, but it was relevant to the movie. I'm talking about idol culture, and this movie is about idol culture. We talked about the goddamn dog who fucking didn't. It was you just put me on that tangent. I, I don't didn't know how say anything about that. You I know, only talked about just, just cut the whole clip out. You know, just start the movie over. No. Okay, hey guys, this week we were reviewing Stop. Perfect Blue. The movie's amazing. Mm-hmm. It, it it effective. Um, I do think the movie should have ended about a minute and a half before it did. I agree. It's kind of like Baby Driver. I was like, I wish this would have ended. The, the the movie where I thought it was going to end was... Perfect. Amazingly perfect. It, it gave me chills. And then there's like a 45-second coda, and it's like we didn't need that part. But movie's still a 5 out of 5 for me. Easily 5 out of 5. And and they later said that... Uh, I know that in the Summer Series, um, somebody, uh, Jerry Herring, actually complained about... Darren Aronofsky ripping this off, Black uh, Swan ripping this off. Oh, you could, yeah. There's definitely like there's definitely heavy inspiration, but mm-hmm. at the same time, I'm gonna throw Angel Guts Red Flash is a similar plot, I think, to a, a certain extent. Like they're filming a rape scene, and then like it comes. I don't know. Like I feel like there, it is kind of a very similar thing. What the hell is Angel Guts Red Flash? There's some similarities. That's all I'm saying. If you ain't never seen Angel Guts Red Flash, say, um, uh, is it Sato? Hisiasu Sato? Oh, this guy. I don't know who this guy is. Isn't I only know trash book? directors like right? Sato. He no, no, not Sato. Sato. Never mind. I know so, that Satoshi, guy makes Satoshi, all the right movies. Is it Satoshi Kun? Do you want me to go grab the disc? You said he had a trilogy of animated I think it's movies, part of a right? trilogy. A loose trilogy? Didn't Yeah, yeah, like it's not like a connected trilogy. Is um isn't there a live action version of this? I think there is a live action version of That'd this. That'd be an interesting watch, but I'm not going to pick it. What are you going to pick? Um, do, be nice. I picked a well, movie that was great. Don't be like, quit your fucking watch, one. We're going to watch Two. the the fucking musical version Red to Kill. of Red the Kill's great. That is a top 10 from 1994. Um, but, well, here's the thing. I didn't give it any thought whatsoever because, you know, you rushed me into a damn room. I, I've only been awake for an hour, guys. Shut up. Even that. I got to the so, eye appointment. I had an eye appointment. They dilated my pupils. I'm seeing, like, like alien toads in the background here. I work on third shift, and this motherfucker woke me up after only sleeping for, like, four hours. I didn't wake you up. It was 5 o'clock. <laughs> And he said, and Jared, it's 5 o'clock. Wait. And the alien toad is you. Hurry up. What movie are we watching? Um, well, I didn't think about the movie I wanted to pick. So, like, do, should we do a Universal? What's the next Universal we have it's to watch? It's Hunchback or Phantom. Why are you acting like those are, like, the worst movies ever made? Because which one do we have to watch? Who cares? We okay, can watch we're, them. we're watching whatever the next Universal is. Sounds good. Yeah. I mean, uh, we, but I thought we were going to do your pick and then another Universal. Yeah, but I didn't think about what I wanted to watch. And if I say something off the top of my head, then we're going to... End up watching Mamma Mia. So we're not watching Mamma anything but Mamma Mia. Uh, what do you got? I don't. But man, what you want to watch a sci-fi movie? What? Yeah, I want to watch a sci-fi movie. Uh, what's a good sci-fi? I movie? I want to watch an animated one, but the animated one I didn't buy yet, and I don't know how easily we can find it. I don't want to so. watch no new animated movie. Sci-fi no, this anime. this is a good one. It's about vampires or something. It'll be really fun. And the animation. When looks did it great. come out? Like twenty no, seventeen. No, it's good. I hate fucking wasting my time with new movies. It's I know not. It's an anime. It's an anime. You we like just, anime. We no, just, we just watched watch the anime. anime. Movie. Why don't I gotta watch another one? I what give you a like, great movie. You're giving me like you're like. Well, why don't we watch the the Brady Bunch musical? Oh, and, <laughs> I don't want to watch the Brady Bunch musical. It doesn't have the original Alice in it. Who um, gives a shit? 
I don't know if there's actually a Brady Bunch music. I think the Brady Bunch movie has technically music in it, and it's it's actually kind of funny. I like it. There's a Brady Bunch movie for there's real. There's two Brady Bunch movies that made in the '90s. Oh, you know, I've never seen it. Should we pick that? I haven't seen it in 20 years. I remember it being funny. I don't want to watch. I don't like the Brady Bunch. Um, it's it's a kind of a makes fun of the original Brady Bunch. Well, what's an animated sci-fi film I can pick? I can't give you any animated sci-fi films. I don't know any off the top of my head. But what about a Clockwork Orange? You've never seen that. Yeah, but I don't want to watch Clockwork. Orange. What about Macbeth? This is going to be nice. Roman Polanski. Isn't that like four hours long? I don't fucking know. I'm looking. No, up. we can't watch. What about the original War of the Worlds? The original? How long is the original War of the Probably Worlds? Probably a normal length of a 1950s movie. Don't no, quit asking 20 questions. It's not going to kill you. Well, what are you looking at, you fool? I'm looking over to see the War of the Worlds. I don't know why I'm looking at the case like I can read the time off it from the spine. <laughs> just tell me the damn so Just movie. because he got his eyes dilated, he thinks he's got like X-ray reverse vision. <laughs> I'm looking at the Dr. X right now, I guarantee <laughs> Pick something. This is terrible. Well, then, uh, we'll just do, do, do the... Um... Why don't you just pick a Vincent Price movie? Why don't you just pick Theater of Blood? I think I've seen... Wait, what's Theater of Blood? It's the one where he, he kills all the critics. It's really funny. Did I watch that one? Oh, I haven't no, watched No, I'm thinking movie. Madhouse. Madhouse is not as good as Theater of Blood. Let's watch Theater of Blood. There we Fuck go. Fuck it. The- we're going to watch Vincent Price <laughs> Theater of Blood after much deliberation, like careful consideration. We're done. Yeah, see you next week. I know there's probably going to be some questions that I didn't get to because I, I, I posted the question of the week on my Facebook on Thursday and I'm recording this Thursday evening, so... Yeah, five five thirty or so. So I know I probably missed some, but anyways, these are the comments and concerns from YouTube and Facebook. And essentially, what I asked you guys: What are your favorite kind of strange Japanese horror films or Japanese films in general? RB, out of the thousands of films you've watched, with many considered quite obscure, I'm shocked you've not seen Salem's Lot. I know, right? Great show as always, dude. Enjoy the upcoming con. Thank you, Red Room. I got the same Mad Dog Morgan set. Great movie, totally ridiculous and special features. Definitely may watch the making of Doc. Dennis Hopper is the drunkest he has ever been on screen in this movie. LOL. Milo169. Those crazy Japanese movies sound like they're right up my alley. I recently picked up Cyclops on Blu-ray. Now I'm really excited to finally watch it. And I asked where he got it. And uh, like I said, there was a Blu-ray. He said he got an Austrian, Austrian release um, put out later this year. Uh, so, uh, Darren A. Um, he says, understandable about Bruce Walsh and your upcoming secret top ten. So... 10 so as long as nothing gets too personal and sensitive terrible news for sure for bruce i'm wondering about the fallout of will smith and all the upcoming issues he and his marriage will face in the upcoming months this will be only the beginning as damaged as he is right now i hope he can recover oh. yep uh i don't want to get into that everybody and their brothers talked about it and uh mika woodcock dave have you reviewed salvage from 2006 this is one crown jewel of hidden gems it has a top 10 movie ending of all time i'm super psyched for the 94 show oh cool and i can't remember which salvaged i've watched there's a couple i don't think i've seen that salvaged though i'll have to check that out uh, and somebody says stefan meander um cool another salvage fan never heard anyone talk about that one so they obviously like that so now we have some answers from facebook Mark Humphreys about weird Japanese, crazy, strange Japanese films you like. Mark Humphreys. House is definitely a weird one. Nick Weaver. Gore from Outer Space. Sean Bruckner. Um, that one and Crazy Lips are wild. Don't hear that mentioned enough either. Jacob Davidson. Evil Dead Trap. Chris Sloan. Battle Royale. Ichi the Killer. Old Boy, which is Korean. Men Behind the Sun, which is Hong Kong. And uh, uh, Sukiyaki Western Django. Audition and Imprint. Jason Siegel. Tokyo Gore Police. Jordan Bibby. Harukio the Goblin and Battle Heater. James D. Cokes also loves Haruko, uh, and he mentions uh, James D. Cokes also mentions Naked Blood. Hurry up, massacre video! I love Naked Blood. Men Behind the Sun. I've only seen the one, two, and four, but I like them all. Also, uh, have 
to have some Mike here. Gozu. Again, the men behind the sun movies are Hong Kong. Uh, Federico uh, Ichi Sargili, Funky Forest, Executive Koala, Kalmari Wrestler, Survive Style 5, R100, Big Man Japan. A lot of strange ones there. Jeremy Popoff, Meatball Machine, Chris Leppard, Gozu, Funky Forest, Taste of Tea, Haosu, Big Man Japan, Survive Style 5, and Gozu. Uh, Guzu. Uh, Danny Foster, Visitor Q, Love Visitor Q, Jenny Marie, uh, Murray, Vampire Clay, I don't know that one, Mutant Girl Squad, Robo Geisha, Tokyo Gore Police, Hell Driver, Meatball Machine, Koduku Meatball, Machine Girl, Vampire Girl vs. Frankenstein Girl, Zombie, Astro of the Dead, and Dead Sushi. Some wild sushi typhoon ones there. Megan Elaine, Tokyo Gore Police is my fave. Matthew Hudson, Battle Royale is my top 10 for sure. I don't know if that counts for being strange. However, for sheer insanity, the sequel Battle Royale 2 is to take a, it's take to cake. It's not good, but it's worth watching if only for the what the... WTF factor. It's like they tried to raise the stakes with the game, but at the same time, they don't give two shits if it actually makes sense. Yeah, I remember part two is just wild. Daniel Roebuck, Lafleur, Tetsuo, the Iron Man, Yuzumaki, Gozu, Karaneko, Perfect Blue. At Corey uh, Higdon, The Untold Story, Hong Kong. Uh, Shea Pop, Visitor Q, Ryan Vincent Logston, uh, Ichi the Killer, Amy Fox Goodwin. Some of these films are Korean. Shinya Tsukomato, uh, Tetsuo, and Takashimika are Japanese. Boy Young Hu is Korean. They are awesome. If you haven't checked out uh, any films by Sion Sono, I highly recommend it. He has a tie with uh, Mike for me. And man, I forgot to put Seymour and she'd get a good response. And he says, I know she mentions that um, the love exposure is great and it's four and a half hours. She also looks like she mentions Battle Royal. Peter McCain, Tetsuo the Iron Man, Adrift in Tokyo, Junk. Junkhead, to name a few, and name a couple. Chris Mayo, Visitor Q, Mermaid and Manhole, Naked Blood, Sean Bruckner, Naked Blood is the absolute favorite. Gozu and Visitor Q for the Mike stuff, uh, Q being stupidly crazy. Yeah, Visitor Q is awesome. Uh, Mermaid and Manhole, He Never Dies is another favorite. Easily the funniest in the guinea pig series. Laughed so hard when I first saw it. Why did I forget C more on here again? I, I did it five or six times, even though I went and searched it. I'm an idiot. Sorry about this, guys. I'm just not doing good today. Sean Bruckner also mentions, also can't remember if baseball, Battlefield Baseball and Versus are Japanese or not, but both of them are classics as well, in my opinion. Elliot Ross, Pig Chicken Suicide, which I've heard of, never seen, and Dakiyama Wonderland Whore, which I only know by its cover art. I don't think has that ever had English subtitles. I doubt it. Dan Walker, Vampire Girl vs. Frankenstein Girl, Hard Revenge Millie, Hell Driver, Chris Trix, Tokyo Gore Place. It's so over the top, ridiculous. It's great. David Gibson, uh, Kurosawa is a god, and um, and most Japanese and a lot of American filmmakers owes a huge debt to him. If we are going more modern, Battle Royale is a top pick of mine, regardless of country or genre. Lucas Tout, Iron Man. Sergio uh, Calisis uh, Magliansen, I can't say the last name very well, Organ and ID, ID is fucking bonkers, Allison Mayer, Haosu, Seb Godin, Gozu, Biotherapy, Naked Blood, Mermaid in a Manhole, obviously some of Tukuzumato's stuff fits the bill, some Sushi Typhoon stuff. Antonio Padilla, Matango, a.k.a. Attack of the Mushroom People, great movie. Um, Jay Ranella, Entrails of a Virgin, Lee Bishop, Visitor Q, uh, Kelly Cashin Kushim, or Kutram, I only... Watched three horror. I've only seen three Japanese horror films I've liked. Wow, I asked what they were. No response. Uh, Caravan Cooner, Haosu, Steve Friedel. All you need in your life is Sano. 
End of story. Stop listening to people with the love love exposure BS. That's his weakest film. Three hours of guys chasing skirts. You want brilliance? This is brilliance. And he posts uh, pictures of, um, of course, Strange Circus and Suicide Club, Cold Fish. He, he meets you, uh, Guilty by Romance, and uh, Anti-Porno. Um, that's off, off memory. Tracy McFace, I mean, when it comes to big name weirdness, you can't ignore anything by Sion Sono. Suicide Club was mind-blowingly amazing to me at 15. That is a wild movie. And then she also posts a link to uh, Rokuro, The Promise of the Witch. So that was a modern one that was pretty sane. Uh, recently in that one had some great scenes mixed in. Stephen McNulty used uh, Maki, Organ, and Executive Koala. Executive Koala so insane. Brian Paul and Strange, Try Battlefield Baseball. That is a bonkers movie. Jesse Lee, Attack Girl Swim Team versus the Undead. Zombie Ass Toilet of the Dead. Uh, Rafa Shiria. Um, which I believe is a Sato movie, Meatball Machine, Crazy Lips, and Psycho uh, Gothic Lolita. We have Gabrielle Censorios, uh, Mermaid in the Manhole, Meatball Machine, Suicide Club, Ichi the Killer Audition, and last, but certainly not least, Kevin Keegan, uh, Tom uh, Tamimi, The Baby's Curse, which I had never heard of, Living Hell, Crazy Lips, Yuzumaki, uh, Yuzumaku, and I'll do four more, Biotherapy, Gore from Outer Space, Elevator, and A Garden Without Birds. So thank you very much for those answers. This week's question is, if you could make your own podcast with any three hosts from any shows, who would they be? So give me your dream podcast. You could take them from the most mainstream podcast to the low-budget podcast or whatever you want to do. So if you're like, I want, like, Elric Kane from Colors of the Dark, but I want to throw him in with uh, somebody else. You know what I mean? Like, um, who's another podcaster from like a, a lower like one that's not as big, like Moods or something. You know what I mean? Just mix it up. Your three favorite podcasts or something like that. And I guess I would get into like the the update and do the whole spiel where I do it, but it's really kind of pointless. So because um, there's only two titles, so let's get into the Patreon picks. The next five titles for everybody here. Um, for the next few and let's see what we get here first up is jim simon and it is swing kids which i'm familiar with i can't remember what one that is and another one here we're gonna have Derek b uh waiting for guffman which should be fun never seen it it's always good to mix in some comedies to change change uh the mood and everything then again, we have Tom Brooker, Cockneys vs. Zombies. It's been a long time since I've watched that one. I have seen that, though, years back. That's three. We got two more. Uh, Cage, uh, Zardos. <laughs> Fucking Zardos. Uh, and last is going to be Jason Willard, Raging Fire. Yeah, so those are the five picks coming up for Patreon. And let's get into the update. Very quick one. you got to remember, guys, I'm going to Wasteland. I had to save some money. So first up is Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2. Realized I didn't have these on Blu-ray. I had DVDs, and I had, like, the bootleg, a whole bloody affair. Like, you know what I mean? So I was like, I, I need to have the official releases of Kill Bill, even though they should get 4K soon. Love Kill Bill. Um, and then next up, we have Megan is Missing, which I didn't know had a Blu-ray. I know the DVD I have, and it's one out of print. So I was like, ah, it's a Blu-ray. It's only 10 bucks, so I picked it up. Why not? Never actually watch this movie. I hear mixed things. Some people think it's the most disturbing, great movie ever, and some people think it's an absolute pile of crap. Well, I guess I'll eventually find out. So, yeah, these uh, are the two for the update, and I guess we're going to get out of here, guys. Okay, guys, thank you very much for watching, and as always, have a good one. Yeah.